0: Everybody, welcome to episode sixty-six of the Utah Royals FC show. I've got RJ
1: Allen with me. How are you, RJ? I'm doing pretty well on this rather muggy uh, New York. I guess we're in summer now, right, day? Yeah, it's technically summer, summer solstice. It's getting hot. Yeah, it was like eighty-four here today. I do not enjoy this level of heat not a fan either
0: i am team if we can have it be like 68 degrees all year round i am in that camp anyways we have a lot of soccer to talk about we have world cup we have the game against portland we have the game coming up against the rain shall we jump
1: right into the u.s women's national team I feel like we need to because I need to unpack the horrors that I saw.
0: (laughs) All right. I'll let you take it away.
1: U.S. went with Alyssa Nair, Crystal Dunn, Becky Sauerbrunn, Abby Dalkemper, Kelly O'Hara, Sam Mewis, Julie Ertz, Rose Lavelle, Megan Rapinoe, Alex Morgan, Tobin Heath, right? Like, I see this lineup. I look at it. I'm like, this is a really good lineup. Like no they don't have Lindsay Horan but she's sitting on a yellow so I totally get why Jill is holding her out like I get Ellis's motivation there and then I watch them play (laughs) and I have this thought running through my head of the first 20 minutes I'm like oh they're just they underestimated Spain it's gonna be fine and then the US gets the penalty in the seventh minute right like okay U.S. is going to get a penalty. Is it a great penalty? No, but she took Tobin down, so whatever. And then Alyssa Nair furted so hard that I think we can just call it a Nair now um, because, oh my, oh my, oh my. And then, until the 76th minute when there was another penalty kick, the U.S. kind of played like ass.
0: Yeah, they were not... Not great, especially Nair. I had no idea what she was doing. That 30 minutes, especially. And admittedly, you know, Becky said post-game that she should have just chucked the ball. But why would you... I don't understand why you would make that pass in the first place. There were just a bunch of a bunch of other just sort of sketchy, risky moments. Um, the one where she took the ball out of the box... Passed away, um, the ones going off her chest and picking it up. I don't know. She has not won me over, but I I love Hope Solo Salt and everything she's done. And I said this in the Slack earlier. I would pay money to watch like a vlog or like a live video of Hope Solo's reactions to that game.
1: I so here's the thing. I am a big Hope Solo fan as a player. Uh, I've written about her less savory qualities off the pitch. Uh, but I think as a goalkeeper, she is the greatest goalkeeper of all time, in my opinion. Barnhart, I would say, is the best at the NWL level, but that's a debate for another time. Um, but I think Alyssa Nair was in a no-win situation. But the problem is she's been bad, which is also a lose-lose situation for the rest of us. Of She didn't make good choices. She did not make choices that were sort of smart in the moment or you could understand why she was making the choices she was making um you know passing to becky in that moment was it the smartest move absolutely not should becky have handled it better absolutely but it's moments like that it's moments of going out and doing a save with a header it's just moments where you're like you have played in games before, like you are a good goalkeeper, and I still think she is a good goalkeeper. I just think she had probably the worst game of her career in the knockout round of the World Cup.
0: I I would agree with that. She's not a bad goalkeeper at all, and it really, you know, we you talk about being in an unwinnable position. She came from Hope Solo, you know, um, Barney Scurry, and other situations like those are massive, massive massive shoes to fill. And I think she's good enough. She's probably, you know, this is debatable, the the best current option, but I think she definitely showed that some of her footwork can be a liability, but at the end of the day, you get that other penalty, which I do think was soft, and we'll probably talk about that a little bit later, And the U.S.
1: advance, and that's kind of all that matters. It
0: does,
1: but it doesn't. Like, Does it matter that the U.S. are playing in a formation where Becky Sauerbrunn has to cover 60% of the pitch? Yeah, it matters because she can't anymore. Like, I love Becky Sauerbrunn. I don't think anybody can accuse me of not liking Becky as a player, but she can't cover that much ground anymore. She probably really never could cover that much ground for minutes and minutes at a time. But you had Julie Ertz on one side, you had Megan Klingenberg on the other, and then on the other side of the pitch you had Allie Krieger. So you didn't have to. Like, Krieger wasn't going to bomb forward the entire game. Julie Ertz would go forward, but she would come back. You'd have, you know, Kling go up, but come back. Like, it it, it would be temporary. Whatever moment she was in that she had to cover that much space was temporary. And she was faster. Um, four years is a lot of time on a body that has to run that many miles. And, like, the thing she does in Utah that's so successful is she and Rachel Corsi, like Becky Sauerburn has never been a, a center back that goes forward a ton, mm-hmm. but she and Corsi switch off. Like they're both defensive enough and offensive enough, if you can count, c- call either of them offensive, um, that they'll both switch who's going high and who's going low and, and doing all that. And it leads to a much more successful partnership. The problem is Abby Dahlkemper... Is being told to go forward, which leaves and go forward and go to the, uh, go to her right because O'Hara's up and Dunn's up on the other side or a lot higher, so the two of them are covering the back and it's just not giving her any of the strengths that she has to play with. Um, I would much rather see her play on a back line more like how Utah does it, where you sort of have that three and a half and you have O'Hara go up but also get back and you have that other outside back stay back. Um, But Jill Ellis has never been interested in playing that formation. Fantastic points. And
0: something I was thinking about while you were talking to is I think that there are um, a couple sort of main reasons why Becky is really being stretched out. I think one is body, which you talked about. I think two into sort of, if I'm, you know, understanding you correctly to summarize it is that the United States is playing higher. I think they're being more aggressive in the front that they have been. Um, you know, Ertz is getting really, really high in some situations. Uh, Lavelle high, Horan high, um, you know, O'Hara high. Like you said, Dow Kemper is coming up. They are pressing and trying to get the ball immediately and be explosive and open up space on the wings where, You know, it's not that they didn't do that in other years, but I think when you combine that with age, there's not a whole lot of cover and that gives you more. And in addition to that, when you look at something like Utah Royals with those players, you know, with Ertz and Lavelle and Horan and, you know, whoever else going high, like Desiree Scott is not going to go high. You know, Desiree Scott is going to break up those plays. And I don't think that's an indictment on... Becky Sauerbrunn, I think it's just a realization that Becky Sauerbrunn is human and can't cover 60% of the field anymore. And it's probably playing to her strengths when she's going to have another center back who's going to stay back, as well as a defensive midfielder who is also going to drop back, you know?
1: And the years that she was covering 60% of the field, you had Hope Solo in goal. And the reason that you enjoy Hope Solo in goal is not just simply because what she could do in goal, but that mental piece of the attacker knowing Hope Solo is in goal and knowing her history and knowing who she is and knowing that, yeah, Hope can get beaten, but you have to do something pretty impressive to beat Hope Solo or you have to have a really nice shot to beat Hope Solo to beat both Becky Sauerbrunn and then Hope Solo. Yeah, I don't think there's that same fear anymore. There is not the fear of, oh, I have to beat a Nair. And... Part of that is just repetition and the teams that the U.S. has played and the style they're playing right now, but you're taking that half a second where they were thinking about Hope Solo away. You're taking that half a second pause away, and it it makes the shot a little quicker. And because the shot is a little quicker, it's a little bit harder to get to. And Becky's got to be a little bit faster, and she's not a little bit faster anymore. And I... I think it's a disservice to who she is as a player to put her in all of these situations where she's probably not going to come out looking great because she can only do so much for so long. Yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, Becky Sauerbrunn is 34. You know, you, you, you cannot expect someone to cover the ground that they would if they were 28 or 29. But regardless, I don't know if you saw it. I read in an article... That the lineup is perfect, except for switch out um, Sauerbrunn, put Ertz at the center back, and then wherever Ertz was, put in Horan. I think that's ludicrous. You know, Becky Sauerbrunn still brings a whole ton to this team. Um, You know, even if she's going to play more of the traditional center back type thing and not have a whole ton of
1: defensive support. I don't think it's ludicrous. I think it's a. I think if you're going to put Ernst as a center back you should do it paired with Sauerbrunn over Dahlkemper or Davidson because there is that relationship between Ernst and Sauerbrunn that I think would be hard for the other two based on their styles and skills to sort of replicate um I think Becky would be able to sort of hand not handle JJ, but sort of be able to partner with her in a more successful way because they've done it before. Um Kemper and Davidson have never really played with, with JJ as their center back partner, and I don't know how well it would work. I think Becky would be more successful there. Absolutely agreed. Would you like to talk about another Utah Royal that was in this game that is also in her now early 30s? Almost 31 Yes, absolutely. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, you're talking about um, Kelly O'Hara, right? I am talking about Kelly O'Hara, yes. (laughs) Um, I enjoy Kelly O'Hara as a player when she is pissed off more than just about any other player when they're pissed off because O'Hara has this just certain quality of look there's a reason jill ellis said we need a bitch get kelly like (laughs) she is that player and i'm enjoying the fact that she is again that player i don't know how well her ankle's gonna hold up if she's playing like this every match for the rest of the world cup but it is super enjoyable to see her playing like this again to see her playing her style to see her playing sort of the best that she can be i am enjoying it a lot She has been fantastic. And admittedly, I was very concerned
0: coming off the injury, you know, because she did not really see minutes with the Utah Royals. Uh, You know, we now know in hindsight that like a a little bit of that, the factor was just, you know, precautionary for the World Cup. But you never, you know, you didn't know what Kelly O'Hara was going to look like, but Kelly O'Hara looks pretty damn good.
1: Now I promised everybody on Twitter that I would talk about Kristen Press for longer than Kristen Press was on the field, which I believe what ninety seconds, something about that. She
0: subbed in. I don't remember exactly when, like the game ended ended, but she came in the
1: in the ninety seventh minute. Yeah, we're gonna call it. We're gonna call it ninety seconds for the record. Um, so hold on one second. Let me bring up my. Uh, Official stopwatch. The official stopwatch of this uh, podcast. (laughs) And I'm going to talk to you about Kristen Press. So this game needed Kristen Press about a half an hour before it actually got Kristen Press. Um, Honestly, it could have used her at the halftime point. Megan Rapinoe was not very good. And really, if you're going to bring in another winger, it has to kind of be press right now. And that makes it to where you have this thing of, you know, Megan Rupino is your spark. She's your, you know, she's your creativity. She's your leader. She's your captain That right? And you have to sometimes replace that person that is your captain. Um, and to do that, you have to pull them out of the game because they're not playing very well. And I don't think Megan Rupino was playing very well. Um, so I really would have liked to see press and just her flat-out speed. The U.S. looked very slow. They looked sort of sluggish in a way that I wasn't expecting. And I think the one thing you can count on Press for is just her flat out speed and her ability to sort of give you runs that you can do something with if you're creative enough to do something with. And I think Heath didn't have a particularly great game, but she's pretty good at giving Kristen Press the ball. Um, Alex Morgan didn't have a really good game, but I think it would have taken some of the, the defending off of her if Press was in the game um so for me i think that ellis's subbing was super bizarre it was sort of everybody coming after the eight what 85th minute or something like that yeah carly lloyd Um, was the first sub in the 85th minute right so like that was just bizarre and then to put press in with like two minutes left to go 90 seconds left to go i think was also super super bizarre so I really hope that she starts against France or at least gets a solid half because I think she's a player. She's very, very much like Morgan, and I've said this, but Alex Morgan is not nearly as fast right now because she's injured. And that's not a slight against Alex Morgan. That is just a fact that Morgan is not as fast injured as Kristen Press is healthy. And I've now officially talked about Press for two minutes, which is longer than she was in the game. <laughs> um, so I disagree
0: with one thing you said there. I am not as much a fan of the 45th, 45th minute remark. Uh, I think Kristen press absolutely starts this game. Megan Rapinoe has not impressed me at all this world cup. I think she's been slow. And I think particularly with how good Spain was in sort of balancing the offensive defense, you know, just that sort of balance a lot better than I think a lot of people thought it was going to be like, The game needed that explosiveness, and they needed it from the get-go. And I was kind of surprised not to see her start. Um, In addition to that, on the note of the substitutions, I do not understand. You know, France may have played 30 minutes more, but, I mean, is Jill, Jill Ellis banking on that, assuming that she can run Alex Morgan to the ground for 85 minutes? I just don't. Get it. It's hot. It's baffling. Those substitutions need to come much much earlier. I I just don't get it. I think I think it's a bad run of form to have to rely on two P- PKs to beat Spain. Spain's a good team. But this is a game that on paper you should have at least gotten a couple goals in the run of play from no matter what. And I think the one consolation for the US not playing their best is that France is also not playing their best. Um, and I think that was evident by the fact that Brazil really sort of gave them a run for their money. And I'm super excited to see this game. I don't know how it'll go. I think the U.S. will
1: probably pull out. Hey, Virgo, did you do you know who scored against Spain the uh, first time we played them this year? Kristen Press. Yes. I see I managed to bring it back to Press again. Very very good of me um, I'm just really excited for pressing back to Utah because oh my God, do they need some offense but yeah, so I think we've I think we've put the us game to bed I also believe um, that they need to play better to beat France. I know this is very shocking um, but playing better soccer usually gets better results not always um, do you want to do an official prediction on what you think is going to happen in the France game
0: yeah. Um, I think that, just like always, the United States gets by on sheer talent level and not Jill Ellis'
1: tactics. I think France wins. Think France wins? I would have no problem seeing that. I think Amandie Henri hits a shot from like five yards past the 18, puts it past a diving nair, and France just locks down for the rest of the game.
0: I would be totally okay with that. You know, I'm a U.S. women's national team fan, and this is a whole other deep dive that we won't go on. But I think that another team that's not the United States, that's not Japan, winning the World Cup would be good for the global game.
1: I just really, I really want to make my dear friend, Allison Carey, happy. And she's the biggest French women's national team fan I know. Allison's a good egg. I don't know her super well, but a good egg. She's a very good egg. Go read her piece, Thank You, Marta. I'm going to pimp something that isn't RSL Soapbox for a second. Go read her piece called Thank You, Marta. Uh, It's on Backline Soccer. It is one of the most amazing things I've read this year.
0: I haven't read it. I'll read it after this. It's really good. Allison's pieces are pretty good. Um, Shall we talk about Canada? Do we have to? I kind of would like to. I just want to give Desiree Scott a shout out. If we talked about defensive midfielders, the way we talked about strikers, Desiree Scott would be a household name. Everyone would know who she is. She is so, so, so phenomenal. That save was incredible. And she doesn't score goals. So you don't tend to notice her. And I know we've said this a million times, but top three in the world easily in her position. Absolutely incredible. Really sort of bummed for Canada. That game was a surprise to me. But offensively, this team just does not know what to do. Tactics probably worse than Jill Ellis. You're down a goal. I don't know why you're bringing in Rebecca Quinn to try to win that game. Um, seems asinine to me. But again, I'm not the coach. Bummer for Canada.
1: Glad to have Desiree Scott back. I might even say it was a 10. It was that bad. Like... <laughs> It was just, it was, like, I like Rebecca Quinn as a player, but she's not who you bring in to score a goal. Um, it just, it baffled me. Though I think it's not a um, it's not a Utah player, but it is a uh, NWCL player. So I think we have the latitude to talk about this. I think we have to talk about the PK of Virjo. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sink should have
0: taken it. Sink tried to hand it off to Janine Becky. And Janine Becky said, okay, um, I I get trying to set up, you know, Janine Becky's good. She's probably going to be a part of that next generation for Canada. But like for the love of God, you need the PK to really to stay alive. Sinclair, just take it. Just take it.
1: Yeah. It's one of those things where, i understand sinclair's motivation and she didn't score a pk in march against um in the algarve cup i get that but you're christine sinclair like these are the moments that you're there for like you need to take the penalty canada dies without that penalty and they died like They did not look dangerous enough to where you're giving up a goal. And I don't think the penalty was poorly taken, but it wasn't like a howler. Um, So I really, it still baffles my mind that Sinclair told Becky to take it and it went the way it did. Yeah. Yeah. The whole Canadian storyline is so interesting to me.
0: And it's not just that, it's just not the, you know, it's not just the subs, but they're In my opinion, and I'm not the biggest expert by any means, but probably the best defensive team in the tournament or one of the best defensive teams. And so it's just really intriguing to see them go out on a 1-0 defeat because what has been the problem for so long continues to be the problem that they cannot get the ball to Sinclair and no one else can be dangerous enough to make it matter.
1: Yeah, I just, I want Christine Sinclair to have good things. Desiree Scott said something after the game, which was basically like, well, we got one more shot in Tokyo before we're all scattered to the wind forever. And I'm like, oh God, that hurts in my place where the soul would go. Um, While we're on the World Cup, I kind of want to talk
0: about three other games. Actually, I kind of want to talk about all the other games. Are you going to be pissed if I do this?
1: Virjo, you just want to talk about the Netherlands. It's okay. We can talk about the Netherlands. No, I actually want to talk about the games that have already happened. Okay, we can talk. I will talk about whatever soccer game you want, Virjo. I am here to be your support. I am the wind beneath your wings.
0: Let's do this. And you're going to be here to have to quell some of my hot takes.
1: Yeah, because that's my uh, skill in life.
0: (laughs) um so germany nigeria not as much the game as much it is the commentary um super super embarrassing uh you know i know that a lot of listeners probably don't don't pay a whole ton of attention to the non-us games and honestly i don't blame you but for the commentary to literally say that the only reason Nigeria is remotely competitive is because they have a European coach is super problematic and it's super racist as well as the fact that those same commentators kept buying into the fact that um you know like African players only have pace and they only have power and they only have speed and there's like no technical ability to it there were some very 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 problematic things about that commentary Germany absolutely deserved to win the game. They wiped the floor with Nigeria, but I think the whole approach to that and the way that Cat Whitehill responded to some of the commentaries is super, super problematic because I don't think it's, um, you know, I, I think it's very, very problematic to say that a country is undeserving and they only make it because they finally have a white person as their coach, as well as just allude to there is no you know, tactics or skill. Grant Wall did an excellent little um, video segment thing for SportsCenter Center on that. Anyways, that's my take on Germany and Nigeria.
1: So here's the thing, like, Nigeria has been to every Women's World Cup. Like, whether you think they deserve to have gone to every Women's World Cup, like, they've been to all of them. So, like, they keep coming back. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, the comments weren't only racist they were nonsensical like you can say that you think nigeria is less good than germany which i don't think is an unfair comment without being racist like you can make those points in a way that is correct and non-racist at the same time you can do it it was bad it was
0: real Real
1: bad. But somehow not the most racist um, display we saw this weekend.
0: Oh, yeah. Really not. Really, really not. Um, I will let you talk first about Cameroon, England, and then I will chime in.
1: So I think you can say that you do not believe that the players from Cameroon acted appropriately without condemning an entire country or an entire continent. Africa is not like the US. It is a continent with what, 53 countries that make it up? Um, Like It's a giant place. And there were, just the way people were acting, the way that Phil Neville acted, the way that everybody was treating it, it's like this combination of an entire continent because some players acted inappropriately. And I do think you can say they acted inappropriately. Um, I think Aaron West and Karina LeBlanc, um, two people that I think have a vested interest in acting sort of, you know, sensitively on this topic, um, did a piece and basically talked about it. And I think they had strong criticism of it, but they somehow managed to do it without being racist. Um, And... I just, it it frustrates me when we watch a game like Spain they were acting, I think, as inappropriately in some of their fouls as Cameroon, and they're not treated the same because they don't jump up and down on the field. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. backing off that a little bit. So I, I have a lot of thoughts. I think that Cameroon did play dirty in some instances. Um, there was a spit. I don't know if that's intentional, but I think it's definitely... Problematic. I know that there is a bunch of frustration from Cameroon off of the penalty that was called off sides, even though it was very similar to the England one, English one. And there's a lot of reasons for Cameroon to be frustrated and to um, express that frustration because if you take, um, I know Lucy Bronze and folks on the English team have been very very vocal about the struggles that they have gone through to get to this point to you know play on men's teams right these struggles culturally economically that female british women's players have overcome to get where they are are still a lot less than whatever cameroon has done right so when phil neville says um that my daughter wants to be a footballer um And if she watches that, she will think, no, I want to play netball. And it's a bad example for the world. Like it's really not. Cameroon is in the middle of a civil war where, um, thousands of villages are being torched and people are being killed and sexual violence is running rampant because there is a difference, um, between English speakers and French speakers. Like Being in the round of 16 at the world cup probably means something for that team. There is something that is a bigger picture. So when I think that Neville says we need to look at the big picture, I think that's kind of silly, honestly. And in addition to that, I think that while, um, you know, the beauty of the world cup is that we see culture and we see, um, you know, people reacting, to different things in different ways. And so I think that at least in terms of like policing the behavior of like jumping around or being frustrated, if you are a person and you're totally cool with the United States celebrating goals, which I am, then you probably also aren't in a position to um, be policing the frustration in the emotions that these players feel. Right. Because personally there's a lot on the line for Cameroon Cameron winning this game is a much bigger accomplishment for them. I don't want to say it's more meaningful, but it's a much bigger accomplishment for them than it is for England. And so if they feel like they're slighted, um, it's probably bullshit for, um, you know, English tabloids to be calling them camera, you know, Camaloons and all these other horrific stuff. You know, some things were dirty. I get that, but, let people react and feel emotions. We don't have to be policing everyone's behavior, especially when there are very clear and obvious double standards. Okay, I'm going to get off my soapbox now.
1: I think you can, I think you can say that there's behavior that we shouldn't encourage and say these particular players engaged in that and not broaden it out. And I think the problem is when you broaden it out to the country or the continent, that's when we start to get on that slippery slope. If you say, you know, player 22 or whatever did a bad thing and keep it on player 22 for doing a bad thing, I think that's okay. You know what I mean? And I don't know if player 22 did a bad thing. I'm just, you know, picking out of my head. Estelle Johnson. I'll use Estelle Johnson as a name that NWL fans should know. You know, and I don't think Estelle Johnson did anything particularly dirty. She looked like her, her usual self. If I say, you know, I think that tackle by Sal Johnson was dirty. Like, I'm not condemning Cameroon. I'm saying a player did a dirty tackle. I think Kelly O'Hara had a couple dirty tackles in the game today or a couple hard tackles in the game today, right? Like, I think people are just trying to make it this giant thing instead of saying, in this instance, somebody did a thing that they probably shouldn't have. And you should probably react better if you're going to be on the world stage, I think we just, the, people were extrapolating it and making it this giant combination thing. And I think that was the, that was my main issue with it.
0: I I agree with that. And honestly, I don't think it would have been that big of a deal unless Phil Neville came out in the post game and said directly that this isn't football and my players didn't enjoy it. And um, it's not good, like role models, right? I I think it's taking it to that level, which makes it bad because absolutely some of the behavior was atrocious, but I think to say that this wasn't football, um, is incredibly disingenuous.
1: No, I I think that was just stupid. And I think Phil Neville knows it was stupid. And I think anything that starts with, but think of the children should be utterly dismissed on its face. Um, England was not particular. Like none of the major teams have looked good, um, England included. I don't think they looked particularly good. Um, you know what other team didn't look good, Fear Joe? Because there's there's option there's, there's options
0: here. There's a ton. There's a ton of options.
1: There's, um, well, there's two left that we haven't yeah. talked
0: about. Um, are we going for Australia?
1: Is that who who we're going to talk about next? Now, let's talk about Australia. I thought Australia was going to win this game. I thought Sam Kerr was going to Sam Kerr herself into the next level. Um, I was looking forward to Australia-England. I was looking forward to the possibility of uh, U.S. versus Australia or France versus Australia. And oh boy, did we not get it? And oh boy, do I hate penalty kicks Um, because Sam Kerr should not take them. And anybody who watches the NWSL knows that. I'm not quite sure why the Australian coach didn't. Uh, Taking a
0: step back and honestly, I'm not the most up to date on the whole Australia situation in the firing of the coach. But this team
1: has not looked the same since. No. And I have not found a lot of information about why the coach was fired. It seems to be some players had an issue with them. I'm not saying that, like, that's the reason. I just, there hasn't been a very good reason put out that this is why this coach, who the players seem to really like, and who did really good things for them. So I think that's one of those problems of, it's okay to it's okay to fire a coach who is bad and toxic and all that, but you have to tell us that's why you fired him. Because when the coach who replaces him makes the team look worse and loses a World Cup game they should have won, people are gonna have even more questions.
0: I thought Norway was fantastic. I had ruled them out. I know a lot of people had ruled them out. Um, They've got they've got a lot of good players, and I'm really excited to see what they can do against England. Um, I think a lot of it was Norway playing up and Australia playing drastically down for a lot of the game, especially after the Atlanta Kennedy red card. So in extra time or I yeah, I guess extra time. So the last 30 minutes, Norway outshot Australia 13 to one. to and if it weren't for the crossbar multiple times, that game never would have gone to penalties. And ultimately, um, in in penalties, looking at the roster, you never know what's going to happen. But I still would have favored Australia. Lydia Williams is fantastic. Um, But Sam Kerr missing that first penalty, going back to what you said, she shouldn't have taken it, but it set the tone for everything that happened after it.
1: Yeah, she shouldn't have taken the penalty. She should not have been the player you choose to take a penalty in that situation. Um, unfortunately, the two best penalty kick takers for Australia are Kelly um, Knight and Alana Kennedy. And guess what? Neither of them were on the pitch. Um, I probably would have put Catley first in that situation. She did make her penalty. Um, it just... I... I can't believe Australia went out the way they did. I was sitting in a Dick's parking lot because <laughs> I had to pull off the road so I could finish this game because I had been out to lunch and I watched it and I, I just couldn't believe it. I could not believe what was happening. Um, it just, it was, it was utterly bizarre in my head because I, I had written this game off as one of the ones that, you know, I, I wanted to watch it and I watched the first half, but I expected Australia to come through. Agreed. Agreed.
0: Um. On the note of Kellen Knight, what a goal was that coming in from the corner and just everyone
1: being confused and going in the back of
0: the net. That was great.
1: That was a Vero goal. Like that was yeah. a Vero can do that as well. Pino yeah. can do that as well.
0: Yeah. That, that was a very, very good goal. Um. France versus Brazil. We already talked about it a little bit. I think France played down. I thought Brazil was fantastic. I think Brazil was in this game until Cristiano went down. Um, VAR was wow um, in this game, but honestly, um, if you—if I'm assuming you've probably seen Marta's post game reaction, amazing, 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 so much passion, so much emotion. Um, this is probably, you know, it's definitely the last time I—I I think we'll see Formiga probably Marta as well, and maybe Christiani. Um, So sort of bummed to see them leave, but I think it is incredibly telling giving Marta's pre-tournament comments about this as being the worst team she's ever played on and how they took it to France for so long. What a fantastic game that was.
1: So I want to read to all of you Marta's post-game comments if you have not seen them, because I think they are that important. Please do. Um, I feel like these are just comments that you need to hear. It's wanting more. It's training more. It's taking care of yourself more. It's being ready to play 90 plus 30 minutes. This is what I ask of the girls. They're not going to be a formiga forever. There's not going to be a Marta forever. There's not going to be a Christiane. The women's game depends on you to survive. So think about that. Value it more. Cry in the beginning so you can smile at the end. Marta is probably going to retire without a gold medal in the Olympics or the World Cup. Christine Sinclair is probably going to retire without a gold medal in the Olympics or the World Cup. That is a goddamn shame. And I really, really hope that the little girls of the world hear them and as, you know, Steph Yang wrote, in eight years, show up and say, Marta told me to do it, so this is why I'm here. Like, it needs to happen. (laughs) Like, it, because if it doesn't, Brazil and Canada. And I, I think they're very similar in terms of the care of their p- women's programs. When these legends retire, I don't know how well they survive. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. It's, um, you know, cause you look at the amount
0: of little girls who play soccer and the just poll of people who you can select. It's not like it is in the men's game. You know, it's, it is actual historical relics fading away, not knowing if they're going to be replaced or
1: not. Oh, man, yeah. that, that was sad. Um, so the other games we'll have are Italy-China. I'm pulling for Italy, for the record, and the Netherlands versus Japan. I'm for On Virjo's uh, behalf, I am pulling for the Netherlands. Are you saying without me, you would cheer for Japan? I'm saying without you, I would probably think Japan has a bigger chance.
0: I feel so loved. Thanks. Um,
1: <laughs> shall we talk some NWSL? I think at this point we have to. I don't know if there's any other topic(s) Express to discuss. Yeah, we're also, we're
0: like 45 minutes in depending on what the editing looks like. So folks will probably have a bit of a longer episode, but uh, don't want it to go two hours. So uh, let's start up. So zero-zero draw against the Portland Thorns. Last time that happened was in 2006, where Portland was held.
1: 2016.
0: Oh, my gosh. Silly me. Wow. Yeah, 2016, what I meant. Last coach who did that, who uh, forced the Thorns to go scoreless at home. Also, Laura Harvey with the, with
1: the Seattle Rain. I feel like Laura Harvey sees these records and is like, oh, this is my record. I'm going to step in here. I feel like she did that against the uh, Courage. She's like, oh, you want my record? No, no, no. I <laughs> shall have my team stop you. I think that the Utah game plan was there is no shame in getting a point on the road in Portland. And I'm okay with that. I didn't see, like, I didn't think they bunkered the entire game. There, there are some games where you look at the nw and you're like, oh, this team does not want to score. They just want to not have the other team score. Um, I don't think it was as strong as that, but I do think that the team understood that one point right now is okay. And I think they played a little bit like that. They didn't want to break the back line. Barnhart did what she had to do. Um, the midfield played a little more defensively than offensively. Vero was out. So you sort of losing that spark. Um, I thought a had an okay day. Um, but I think they were okay with that one point, and honestly, I think that was probably their best game plan coming in, was to say, okay, if it's 0-0 at the end of this, we go home with a point, and right now, going home with a point ensures us second place, if as long as everything else works out. So I think that's okay. I'm okay with that choice, and I think Harvey does not have the best track record in Portland, so having that sort of mindset, I'm perfectly fine with.
0: Yeah. I think you go in with a point and if two points, uh, if you get two points, then that's bonus and that's great. Yeah. I I think in terms of setting realistic expectations with the form that your forwards are in, a point was probably the idea coming in and I'm totally, totally cool with that. I was really happy to see Katie Stengel benched um i liked the erica timrack mallory weber thing that uh was happening up top i thought it was good uh there was still sort of a lacking of creativity um you can really tell when vero isn't there it definitely felt a lot more like the majority of the games last year but um i was fine with it for the most part um in this context
1: yeah, I think they played a solid game. They played a solid game plan. I think that Barnhart and the back line need a ton of credit because this is not a bad back line. I expected to hold very well. And they've done a really nice job since the World Cup starters have gone to be able to hold this down. And I think when Corsi and Bowen come back um, and Desi Scott now, that they're going to have even more strength come in. And I think that could be a really good selling point. You have Bowen who can get forward. You have Rachel Corsi who sort of brings that stability. Um, you have Desi Scott who is just a black hole in the middle of the pitch, which is what you want her to be. So the one thing I was worried about was Utah would get all of their starters back, all of their World Cup players back, and be in a position where they had to make up a bunch of points because they got a bunch of draws or they they didn't win games that they should. And that's not the case. They're getting their World Cup starters back in a really solid position, like they're a point out of first, um, where everybody's played nine games and one team has played ten. Like this is almost the ideal position for Utah to be in right now.
0: Yeah, um, it has been exceeding expectations. I did not expect, you know, Gabby Vincent or Sam Johnson to come in and do that well. Even you know, Sydney Meramontez wasn't bad after not playing in forever. It has exceeded. Mm-hmm expectations and while I definitely think that it's not going to be incredibly hard for Harvey to decide who's going to line up next to center back you know plot twist it's uh, obviously going to be Rachel Corsi but I think that there is a lot of potential talent for years to come a lot of players that could be developed where moving forward I'm a lot less concerned about oh um, X player is injured. You know there is a level of comfortability of, okay, we've seen this player. This player can do some really good things.
1: Are you saying that Rachel Corsi is not going to be the starting striker on the Utah Royals FC? Because that's what I signed up for.
0: Oh, I am totally cool with Rachel Corsi playing the nine.
1: I would honestly pay to fly out and watch a game that that happened in. No shame. I would. I would love it so much. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Um,
0: Although I think Jill Ellis is more likely to start Becky Sauerbrunn at the ninth than Rachel Corsi, than Laura Harvey is for Rachel Corsi.
1: Laura Harvey might do it in practice, though.
0: Oh, yeah. That's fair.
1: The English do have a long history of torturing the Scottish.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. Um... Another thought on that game that really stands out to me is I have been really high on Raissa Strom Okamoto for a long time. And I've been kind of frustrated as to why she hasn't gotten minutes off the bench. She saw like 90 seconds. It was like the Kristen press up. So that's kind of disappointing, but I'm glad to see that she's playing. And she, I think like Gabby Vincent is, um, you know, a gem found in the rough. I think I'm saying that saying wrong, whatever. Um, a diamond in the rough, but really excited to see where the development of these, of these players go. Um, The only rookie that we, we haven't seen anything from, well, there's two Maddie Nolf has been injured. Not sure what that's about. And Alex Kimball has sort of just dropped off the face of the earth. I don't know if she's just not impressing in training she's traveling, but she's not making 18s, but you know, um, I'm. I could not be more happy with how Maimon, uh, Vincent, and you know some of the others have panned out.
1: I'm very interested to see when the entire team is together who gets the 18 and who doesn't because I do think there are going to be some very hard choices for Laura Harvey. And as tough as that is on the other players, I am glad that Laura Harvey has some tough choices to make. Um. Anything else on the Portland game that really stood out to you? I am internally impressed by Nicole Barnhart and right now if I were to vote and I do have a vote in such things, she would be my NWSL goalkeeper of the year. She's been stellar.
0: Absolutely stellar. All right. Shall we talk about the SeaTac rain?
1: I am going to formally petition the NWSL to force them to be named the SeaTac rain. It is my favorite, my favorite thing ever. It sounds cool. It's like,
0: I I get that it's, you know, a mix between Seattle and Tacoma, but it definitely sounds like a Pokemon or like a super modern millennial, like kayaking company.
1: Yeah, I love it. It's great. They just got Jess Fishlock back and oh boy, has Jess Fishlock been a good soccer player lately? Ooh, dragon for a reason. I'm very interested to see if uh, the backline and Nicole Barnhart can tame the dragon because they're going to need to. Like Fishlock is going to test them in a way I don't think they've been tested so far.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I agree with that. Before we talk tactics, should we just talk a little bit about the rain first though, because we haven't seen them since last year? Go for it. So the rain were third place last year. They had a plus eight goal differential made the playoffs. Yeah. So they played Memorial stadium, which was falling apart. So they moved to Chaney Cheney stadium in Tacoma. Um, it's a, apparently much more, much more pleasant for them there, which is exciting. Um, they've got some new ownerships, including a uh, majority owner of the Sounders and the MLS. A lot of really, really positive things happening there for them. Um, they've lost, I think, an important player in Naho, but not one that's crucial. They've picked up some other players, such as Shea Groom, uh, Megan Kelly, who we all know, although not an important player, a national team replacement player who's played 15 minutes and three appearances, um, you know, Taylor Smith. And uh, Casey Murphy, who has been huge coming in for the injured Michelle Betos.
1: The Rain are a good team. Like, they're a solid team. Beviana's switching to sort of that holding midfielder role has sort of reinvigorated her career. She looks good. She has changed the way she plays the game to play that more holding style, and it's working. Um, Seattle is a team that can beat a lot of teams. They haven't beaten everybody, but they've just gotten sort of their heart back in in Jess Fishlock. So... I expect this to be probably the hardest game um, that Utah is going to have before the full national team is back. Um, This is really, really going to be the hard game. And I really hope Bowen and Corsi are back. And I hope if they're back, their heads are screwed on right. Because losing a World Cup, especially the way that Scotland lost the World Cup uh, in terms of how they didn't progress, um, is tough. And I think it's going to be tough. But I think playing soccer might be the best thing for Corsi right now. And they're going to need her because Jess Fishlock is a tough player. And Corsi played for the then Seattle Reign, so she is familiar with with a lot of the personnel and, and sort of the way that the Reign do what the Reign does. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: like you said, Fishlock coming back with the Olympic Leonae season ending is huge. They have a lot of players missing too. Um, Rapino is gone. Lydia Williams is gone. Jody Taylor is gone. But there's still a ton of just th- there are so many things that could happen in this game to make it unpredictable. Obviously, Fishlock, you know, ha- amazing. Um, <clears throat> Bethany Bowser, I don't know if I'm saying the last name, right? I've heard her pronounced a couple of different ways. Um, she came out of nowhere and has three goals as a rookie. She has been incredible.
1: Yeah, she's right now my rookie of the year. She looks really solid. And from a player who came from sort of her beginnings, like it's great to see her sort of playing. Yeah, she wasn't even drafted, if I remember right. Yeah? She was not. Yeah, incredible story.
0: So stuff to be you know careful of. I think the home field advantage is going to do wonders for us. I think this is a game we win. I think we win it 2-1. What about you?
1: I, until they do it, I have no confidence in the Utah Royals to score two goals. Um, as soon as they do it, I will have confidence in it. But I just don't have confidence in that. I think it's going to be a 1-1 draw. I can see that. And they've, they've drawn a lot.
0: So on the year, they have three wins. One coming over North Carolina. Another coming over um actually in their previous game over the Chicago red stars who clobbered them by three goals the other time around. And they only have one loss. So they are, they're hanging in real tight, but they, um, yeah, they are a good team and they have, they have yet to have a game where they've conceded more than one goal. And I know it's absolutely crazy for me to think that Utah will do it, but I think that Amy Rodriguez is going to have a very, very good game
1: she needs to have a very good game like they need her to come alive or when kristen press comes back there's a chance that she finds her way to the bench all right um so i guess we'll move to listener questions
0: so marcus says way to shut out the thorns um aaron wants to know our thoughts on bowen and Corsi returning
1: I am pro Bowen and Corsi returning for the record.
0: Yeah, I think that they will be back. If not back, I think at a bare minimum, they'll be back for the next game. But I, I feel like they'll be back. Um, A lot of people just want us to talk about VAR. And I, I don't even know where to start talking about VAR. VAR has been not horrible in MLS. It's been pretty decent in the Dutch league. It wasn't bad at the men's world cup. Um, I think implementation with rules has been kind of different. There's, there's just so many different things that go into it. There's been more practice runs. It's, it has looked a lot more like a help to the game in any other time that I've seen it besides this one, I have never seen it where it's taking five minutes just to get a penalty kickoff. It's been outrageously ridiculous.
1: So I think there are two issues that I'm currently having with VAR. The first is the implementation part, which is the fact that there weren't any trial runs. The center officials have never had it before. Um, they feel, it seems that they feel like if there is a call to, for them to review something that they probably screwed up. So they're seemingly more likely to overturn it. They're not letting sort of the booth review things that they probably should. So it's taking more time because they're reviewing it themselves, which is their right. Um, But it seems like the implementation process, like the goalkeepers having um, such a strict view on... um moving off the line like the players are just doing what they've always done now i'm not saying that they were following the rule before but it was it was just how the game unfolded right like it was how the game processed um and if you look in the past like this would have been even even bigger problem so i think there's that implementation part um the second part is the rules that it is enforcing um in my opinion and this is solely my opinion if a player has their back to goal and the back of their heel is offside that is not an advantage and that should not be flagged for an offside and we should not have a 3 minute break to determine if that was offside um i feel like a lot of the rules of soccer are sort of getting a spotlight shown on them in ways that make us realize how ridiculous some of the rules are of you know, an offside happens and then somebody's like leg is taken off, but oh, that tackle didn't really happen. And I don't care if you've broken your ankle, it didn't happen because somebody was offsides, you know, five minutes earlier. So I think the rules are sort of being shown for as seemingly arbitrary and silly at times as some of us have already always known they are, but they weren't enforced in a way that they were as much of a problem. Like, if the rule is X, but it's always been enforced as Y for the last 15 years, and suddenly they're enforcing it as X, it feels like a different rule, even if it's not a different rule. And I can understand players' frustration. You know, you see Jess Fishlock and Yael Averbush tweeting about, like, I don't know what the rules of soccer are anymore. Like, I don't understand what's going on. And these are two professional players. Jess Fishlock just won a Champions League title and she feels like she doesn't know what the rules of soccer are. That is a problem. And I do think the rules need to be reviewed and sort of brought into the more modern thing if we're going to have VAR continue.
0: There just needs to be some level of consistency. We need to sit down decide what the rules are. Because, like for example, um, taking away yellows from goalkeeper encouragement in the middle of a tournament or saying that you're not gonna, going to give them, right. these are kinks that should have been worked out beforehand. And so there needs to be some consistency in the way in which we approach that. And we probably should um, maybe relax up a bit and and change a few things. It's really, like you said, it's highlighting some of the, I think, the fundamental problems that are in the rules of the game.
1: Absolutely, I agree.
0: Sweet. Um, I guess that is it for episode 66. It's been a good one. All right, we'll chat with y'all next week. Hope to see you at the game Friday night against SeaTac Rain. I was so close to saying Seattle.